UFC's back with UFC Vegas 28. You know, I feel like I'm still riding that high from UFC Vegas 27. Such a good lineup of fights. And give us one weekend away from the UFC. We're going to rethink things a little bit. So I'm excited for the changes. But let's talk about UFC Vegas 27 a little bit. 10-3 and in overall picks. 7-0 and on prelims. Maybe the prelim king is back after those cold streaks. But Damian Lillard jersey to stay hot and wish us good luck moving forward. But with those 10 wins last uh, last card, we got 200 wins overall in our pick. I and mean, so I thought, you know, we're doing this for fun. We're throwing else to some of our favorite fighters at 200 and 121. So congratulations on that. I thought, let me do some digging. So I found a site, betmma.tips. You know, this is a database of 3,000 plus MMA cappers in the industry. And, you know, we're sitting in the top 100, if not the top 50 right now. Pretty excited about that. So one little change we're going to make, as you know, we put out the picks every Saturday. We're going to make it a little bit sooner, but we're going to add a Super Saiyan to one of our Goku hairs. So if you notice that, that's going to be a pick we're like, yo, we're taking this too. Don't put your, you know, college funds or your mortgages on this, but it's going to be a pick we can all share in the losses and wins together. I think it's going to be good for us. Let's show off what we've accomplished so far, but, you know, really great fights, right? Rob Font showing off that jab. Like we talked about, man, the boxing was elite. That's what it was, and I, and I appreciated watching it. It was sad to watch it be against Cody Garbrandt, but he's ready to take bodies, and Cody Garbrandt took his own line of bodies, right? He's going to find himself now in his next run. He's still young. He's been a champion. He's got some mental things to overcome, but outside of that, it was a great fight from both guys. I think everyone's hard on him, no matter if he wins or he goes crazy or, you know, Cody can't seem to win with the public, and he's got to face that. I feel like that's something he just can't win right now, but... Outside of that, you know, Jack Hermans is another guy I want to shout out. Edmund really does have a lot of work to do. Outside of that first round, it just seems like without the cardio and the proper grappling for this level, it's just, it, it, it's tough fights. You know, I feel like this is a kid that got thrown to the Wolves early, and now he's, got to, he's forced to face guys in the top 10, top 15, and they're tough outings. You know, two guys that are very similar in the sense that Brunson and Hermanson, if you do not end them in the first round, like, they're grinders. They got cardio. They, they can push the pace. They can take a beating. And I feel like both of them just get irresponsible in the first trying to figure out their games and can be susceptible to punches. But, you know, Hermanson survived that first round and, you know, dictated his own pace the whole time. His entire game plan worked to perfection. That's going to be a learning curve for Edmund. But outside of that, last but certainly not least, one of my favorites of all time. I can't believe we still went against from the pick him after the, you know, chats we just did. But again, you know, Jan... That was a woman we really thought was going to figure it out by the end of the first, even if she lost that first round like she normally does. But Carla's working, man. She's becoming an, a very, very true athlete. I can see it in her game. I've watched her the whole time. To watch now 5-0 in the second run, originally beat Rose for the ship, now can go for another run against her. It's such a great storyline, and I'm so happy for her. I put out a post quite a while ago about, you know, the story about her motorcycle after she won on the Ultimate Fighter. The girl had to sell the bike to be able to make ends meet. I mean, look where she is now. Give her that title fight. Nobody deserves it more. I can't wait to see this new and improved version of the Cookie Monster just feasting all these ladies. But, you know, the card was obviously great. 7-0 on prelims. If you want to see how we broke down the, you know, original prelims. When we lose, we usually lose to the fighter. We still call the game plan perfectly, but we lose the, uh, you know, pick. But outside of that, feel free to go check out the videos from UFC Vegas 27. We're going to get right into Vegas 28 now. I'm really excited for this fight because I feel like, like we keep talking about the, the matchup making, you know, the matchmaking in the UFC is absolutely phenomenal right now. Yusuf Salal, Sean Woodson, I mean, that's going to be an absolutely insane fight. I think that's, you know, a potential fight of the night, if you ask me, but 
Let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. And first off, we got Claudio Poyez and Jordan Levitt. Now, funny enough, we just talked about how good the matchmaking can be, but Claudio Poyez, you're gritty, survived the first round and can pull off late wins in the third very easily versus a guy like Jordan Levitt, you know, that Monkey King moniker. I just, I think of Monk when I watch him fight. Very calm, very cool, very collected. We haven't seen him in danger zones very much in his fights. Probably one of the best topology pickers out there just staring at the camera as he's about to lock in an arm bar. I mean, you know that's touchdown dance-esque but if you ask me this is a great matchup in terms of can we see a different Jordan Levitt in the third round because he's only seen a third round twice in his career and you know I feel like that's an area where we're seeing Poyas in his very young UFC career find really good success after getting dominated in the first rounds in his last fight the guy pulled off a beautiful submission you know to come away with that victory so those are the little things I like about him or sorry in his previous previous victory i knew i had to check that but marcos mariano was that next one via decision but the felipe silva fight i mean the guy was losing big time absolutely big time and it was one of those things where he could have even been ended in the second round but you know he got back to the to the corner was able to come out in the third pulled off a knee bar very exciting fighter that's where we're going to be able to see you know jordan levitt knows he might have the stand-up advantage here he also knows that he's a very confident fighter in the first two rounds and so maybe he can figure out Claudio Poise a little bit earlier. Now, Poise is going to have to do some of the damage his own, right? Like, he's got to get into this face. He's got to get this fight to the ground. He can't be distance striking with Jordan Levitt. I think Levitt's going to have the advantage in the striking department for sure. And it, it's one of those fights where Jordan believes that he's going to have advantages everywhere, can keep the fight standing, and if the fight goes to the ground, I'm sure he thinks he can hang there too. Obviously, we think he's going to be the favorite. I don't think he can be a super favorite because, again, we're seeing the type of guy that, you know, Claudio Poyas isn't. And if he survives those first few rounds where Levitt's always looking for finishes, maybe Levitt's the tired guy in the third, and now a guy like Claudio Poyas can start to do his damage. Like I said, he's very young. We haven't seen him fight in almost, you know, two years. So these are the little things that I, I don't like about his career. But at the same time, when you're away working on your game, things like that, Jordan Levitt can't, isn't the hardest test of all, you know? He's not being thrown to the wolves, as they say. This could be a winnable fight for him, you know, especially late in the fight. But again, I do think he's going to be a big dog. I think this is a fight for Jordan Levitt to lose. He, he, he's been looking, I mean, phenomenal in the UFC, right? So now why don't we take a quick look at the lines here? So one thing we're going to do is we're, we're going to mention some of the other lines that we notice here for, for the other, you know, parts of the fight in terms of rounds and stuff. But when you look at even Claudio Poyas, you know, for him to finish in the third round, it's plus 2,000. These are some of the things where if you're betting live and you see this fight going, I mean, who knows? Could definitely pull something off. But here we go. Jordan Levitt, minus 200. Can't argue with that. His performances in the UFC have been phenomenal. I think Claudio Poyas is a lot to prove i think that his his skill level is there especially on the ground but the striking still has to be proven at the ufc level and on top of that we've seen him get absolutely dusted in the first two you know especially the second round in that uh felipe silva fight but that's where we're seeing a lot of improvement like i said very young there's a huge clash of styles in terms of comp cool collected and greedy grinder that charles Oliveira, ricardo ramos style where he's just always looking for that finish and just keeps pushing the pace it's going to be fun great start you know to the fight card so we're gonna keep rolling here into the next one sean woodson and yusuf salal we just touched on this fight in the intro 
both these guys bring really interesting games to the octagon, right? Sean Woodson, really tough fight against Julian Arosa, one of my favorites. That's a tough alumni. One of the most exciting fighters you'll ever watch, doesn't matter what fight he's in. I think that was one where that was a huge learning lesson for Woodson, you know, keep playing your game, avoid those situations where someone can really take advantage of even your tiredness or your lack of cardio in, in really tough situations like the groundwork, things like that. I think that Yusuf Zalal in this case, you know, always on his bicycle, always looking for those quick strikes, very economic striker, you know, good work up against the fence. Surprisingly, he does look for a lot of the wrestling and, and the um, clinch work against the fence. What I did like about, you know, some of his showings, tough fights, right? Topuria, massive, massive tough fight when it comes to that wrestling style. Same with Troy. I mean, Troy's looking like one of the stronger fighters in that division overall. Yusuf Zalal takes him on on short notice and, you know, continuously pushes the pace, takes very limited damage. I think that's what I really liked about him. That's where you just fall in love with guys like Zalal because he's why you like fighting, right? He avoids the damage. He makes it exciting. It's, it's actually a good fighter, right? So in this one, Woodson. 40 amateur boxing fights coming out of glory kickboxing with James Krause and the crew. He's got a good, he's, he's got every, everything's happening in the right ways for him. And I think that in this fight, the way he's utilized the boxing in the past, great uppercuts down the middle, great knees down the middle. If he can land those types of shots, that's going to be really, really good for him. For me, I'm wondering where I think against the fence is a great opportunity for him. If Zalal's not finding success in beating that, you know, six inch reach advantage, he's going to try to push him against the fence and get this fight to the ground, working some of those arm try. His arm chokes are great. I think he has a great chance of trying to pull those off. That's how he's actually able to get up from the bottom a lot of the time against other fighters. That's where I'm hoping that he has a bit of success, right? I think he could be a bit of a, a favorite here, not by much. I think this is a pretty close fight overall. The thing about Woodson is the striking could be really, really good. Like the boxing is very crisp. He's going to be working that jab. With Zalal always on his bicycle and you know trying to move around those leg kicks and that type of jab could really work in a much bigger game plan later in the fight. But again, I think this is going to be one of those economic striking fights. I don't think it's going to be a big brawl because Zalal is actually a bit smarter than that. He's not trying to take stupid amounts of damage. Thing with a guy like, you know, Woodson, where did he really impress us? You know, you look at the Bokniak fight, stuff's 14 of 15 takedowns, and the guy lands like 150 strikes. Over 100 of those strikes were significant strikes. So I really like what I see from the stand-up perspective of Sean Woodson. I think he's going to be one of the better fighters in the division overall when it comes to the stand-up game. Now this is a great test to see just how good that, you know, overall MMA style is coming in because Zalal is a great test for that. I think the striking is good. I think the clinch work up against the fence is good. I mean, he's not really showing us amazing success against some of these bigger, you know, prospects coming up right now, but this is a great for, fight for him to kind of, you know, think outside the box and don't just stand there and bang, which he normally doesn't. Uh, let's take a look at the lines. I'm actually pre, I I'm a little, you know, I'm stuck on here, but I think that I'm going to give the edge to Zalal just based on MMA experience and just his ability to kind of stay in the fight. He does stay in the fight at all times. And let's take a look. All right. I mean, plus 162 dog for Zalal and a minus 188 for Woodson. I'm looking at all these types of, um, you know, bets right now. And obviously you look at the over four minus 450 for one and a half rounds. I mean, that that's almost a surefire bet. I just don't see Zalal getting finished by Woodson, especially early. But again, if Woodson's using those uppercuts and those knees as Zalal's trying to push him closer to the fence, those are some sneaky ass blows that could really maybe put anybody on the planet out. So look out for those shots. But 
Zalal being a really smart fighter in there, I think if he doesn't find success on the feet pretty early, which could really end up being the case, he's going to find newer ways to try and transition this fight. So I'm excited to see all the different areas of MMA we might get to see in this fight. But yeah, man, opening lines for that one, plus 105 for Woodson, minus 125 is all, and it's switched. So I was on the right path originally. People are loving Woodson. So Hey guys, if you're if you're a Zalal believer and believe in that minus 125 opening line, maybe that's something you check out. Man, no fear against Marina Moroz. I think this is a great fight for the female weight class because it's going to be exciting. You know, distance striker, another fighter who likes to come in close, boxing, clinch work. I think Moroz has really shown that off in her last few fights. You know, not much of a dis, you know, disadvantage in terms of um, reach, things like that. So even though, you know, Fiore fights so long, I think it's going to be interesting to see if Moroz can close that gap because if she can there should be a pretty good advantage for her. When you look at the past few fights that she's lost, I mean, the Asparazas and Angela Hills of the world, but then comes over and beats Mazo and Boyne Silva. When you look at the way she takes damage, I think that's what she needs to avoid, you know? Similarly, we're going to talk about Montana De La Rosa. That's the only real issues that you might have there. This is, I think Moroz is way better example though, you know, in comparison to La Rosa at least, because... If you look at the way she dominated Sabina Mazo, you know, Sabina Mazo starting to, you know, have a bit of a come up of her own. But in this fight, I mean, my word, Moroz just went to town and it was a lot of good groundwork. You know, they were kind of saying, you know, why isn't she taking her down sooner? She was actually working in such good boxing that, you know, they thought that maybe that wasn't the game plan, but she worked it in quickly. She got to the clinch area. She got it to the ground. And on the flip side, you know, Fiora has to, I think, look out for those opportunities. I think it's going to be an area where she's going to struggle. If, they can, if she can keep the kicks going, if she can keep the striking at a bit of a distance, she should have a bit of advantage there. Body kicks, leg kicks, a lot of different, you know, looks in, in that sense. You know, you got to keep Moreau's guessing. If you look at Mazo, footwork is kind of there, but, you know, movement is very... It's not as much it needs to be, especially in that fight. You know, I think she could have used a lot more lateral movement coming in with some strikes, maybe, but at the same time, when you... Moroz was just dominating in terms of just where to be at the right time. And in this case, it's going to be something similar, right? Distance type of striker versus that volume in close Tyson. You know, I really think that Moroz has a good chance in this fight. I kind of want to give her the lean as a as a favorite here. I mean, the more I look into it, the more I think that Fior has a has a good you know record on her on her on her under a belt. But you know, when you look at the finishes, I think that. She's shown off some really good kickboxing that a lot of these French fighters bring, but at the same time, you know, you have to get all these looks, and I think Moroz's ability to work in all these areas is going to be a huge awakening for those of the areas where I think she has a lot of work to do. So I'm leaning Moroz for this favorite. Let's take a quick look at the lines here. This one opened up minus 140 for Fior, and Moroz is a dog. I'm a little interested in seeing this one further. I think Fiora is going to be a great striker. Like I said, if she keeps it at a distance, it's going to be a good fight for her. But Moroz has actually fought some good fighters who work the same game plan and has been able to get in. So it just depends on how good you think Moroz is, sorry, how good Fiora's striking is, you know, has a big name for herself right now. Looking good on the UFC, uh, you know, stage right now. Was coming off the UAE performance that Dana White contenders, or sorry, Dana White looking for a fight series that he did out, you know, during the uh, Abu Dhabi time. That's where she got a really big name for herself. And so I think the line for me is a little questionable. I'm not going to lie. But again, I think that's where you kind of stay away for the most part. I think that Moroz has a really good chance of winning this fight, as I've said. So maybe this is a dog, uh, you know, a dog riding situation. But 
you know, I think that the the fact that the line hasn't moved much is a little bit more scary. Uh, the fact that it's actually moving more in favor of Fiore is something to take into consideration. But, you know, uh, I think that Moroz has a complete game to at least try and neutralize some of those kicks and keep the fight moving. But at the same time, Fiore's movement, her ability to strike it at all levels is going to be what Moroz needs to beat. And if she doesn't, obviously there's a reason why she's the favorite. If you look at some of the finishing opportunity, uh, obviously doesn't look like much, right? You're looking at a minus 300 for uh, over two and a half rounds. That's obviously, um, you know, going to be something that people avoid since there's not much value in it. But again, I think that Morose is a great opportunity here to ride a, a big grinding fight, especially in that second and third. If she survives that first, I mean, let, let's see how good this fight turns out to be. And one of the last things I wanted to mention about Fiora is that, you know, when you look at her UFC performance and the stats that go along with it, a bit inflated. So if you're going based on that, that also adds a bit to that uh, bit of juice that we're getting because to be honest, you know, landing 5.8 strikes per minute and absorbing 1.8 is a pretty high rate to keep, especially as you move up in the UFC, you know, 79% defense, 100% takedown accuracy, 100% takedown defense. So again, I think that there is a bit of inflation on this line. I still think Morose is going to win this fight. Keep a lookout for the Instagram picks for the final decision. I think this is going to be a fun one. If Morose gets this in close and is able to work this to the ground, this could be a tough fight for Fiora. So keep an eye on it. Let's see where we go with this one. But, you know, what I love about this next fight between Alan Patrick and Mason Jones is just that 12-year age gap, right? We're going to see some great experience against a youthful guy who put on a great performance against Mike Davis. I thought that was one of the fights to remember constantly pushing forward taking a lot of damage i wish he would keep his hands up just a bit more but great leg kicks good uppercuts down the middle i thought that mike davis was just you know really looking like the more powerful striker right all of those shots just felt harder he looked like he was winning it was such a close fight but he did come away with that victory and the one thing i would say about that one is this is where maybe alan patrick might find some success right over the course of his career we're seeing especially as he ages getting the fight to the ground is probably his best game plan but you know he is a southpaw i think that in this fight if you look at the previous mason jones fight mason jones fight he was actually, he was quite open on the left side and, and Mike Davis was mostly landing his jab to that left side and, and countering with big rights. But, and with this fight, I just see it playing out that way. I mean, if, if Alan Patrick is able to get any type of top game, you know, going, that's going to be a struggle for Mason Jones. I really believe that he's going to be able to keep the fight standing. It's going to be a stand-up war for a little bit. And it's it's really tough to picture Alan Patrick getting out of that. I think that if he does land big, especially using those big left hands and trying to get into some of those openings that Mike Davis was kind of mostly landing his jab in, that presents an opportunity for him to pull off the upset. But if we're looking at the lines, I'm gonna go Mason Jones as a favorite here. It's very difficult for me to go the other way. So. Taking a look at it, Mason Jones coming in at a minus 250 opener, looking at a minus 300 on some places. Just using Bet365 as a specific example, we've got minus 300 and plus 240 for Alan Patrick. This next fight has crazy potential for a finish, I think, just because both guys try to give it their all in terms of energy output right from the get-go. You know, you got Makura Americani against a guy like Kamala Kirk, who's going to be making a short notice debut after Nate Landwehr put out, pulled out due to injury. Now, Nate Landwehr versus Makura Americani would have been one of the most exciting fights on the card for sure. Two guys that are willing to throw down. Now... I'm going to have to give a huge edge to Makwan Americani here now. If Mason Jones is a minus 300 favorite, 
I'd be very, very, very concerned if Makwan didn't come in somewhere close there. When you look at the two guys differently, I really believe that Kamala Kirk has a lot to prove. You know, his LFA fight against Daniel Swain was a really interesting one. He basically ended the guy. You know, you saw him on the stool. Daniel Swain's basically saying, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to retire. Basically ends him in that fashion in terms of retirement. So I really think that that's going to be playing a huge part in his rise. Uh, coming out of LFA, but you're taking a guy like Americani who his wrestling is just so well suited for a fight like this, right? It's a bit more of an international style of wrestling, but you know, I think that he's not, when you're not taking on the Daniel Cormier's of the world, it, it's something that can really, really pose a problem for guys who like to keep the fight standing and like to brawl. You know, I think that that's what Kirk really is. He's, you know, a classic mentality brawler. And with Amir Khani, who's obviously starting to get better in the striking department, when you're taking on guys like Shane Burgos, who's the only other guy to ever, who's the only guy to ever finish you, and the Edson Barbosas of the world, what a fight that was between the two of them. But... That's going to improve your striking tenfold because you know where you need to improve taking on two guys like that. So for Makwan Arbiakani going into this fight, I just think it's so hard to see any area of the fight where he should be at any of a disadvantage. It's just, I think the brawling style where if, you know, Kirk is able to walk through Americani's punches because they don't have any power behind them and can land big in his own way or get it to the fence, maybe work in some strength-based moves. I just think Americani's technical wrestling and his technical striking and the, just the guys he's been in there with is going to be something that really stands out in this fight. I don't see much of a size difference that makes me think this is going to be something where, you know, it poses a huge problem for a guy like Americani. You know, when you look at the stats on UFC stats, you know, three inches is the only real difference in terms of reach, but then you look at their overall performances. I just think that looking back at the Billy Corantillo Dana White Contender Series fight, like Corantillo broke him late in that fight. He was landing at Will, and, and I'll be honest, Billy Corantillo has a lot of work to do at the UFC level. So, you know, I don't want to dive too much into where I believe this fight stands because I think that's fairly obvious. And, and in terms of the lines, I mean, I'm going to take a look quick second here, but. I really do believe this is a fight for Americani to lose and, and I'd like him to showcase just how good he is in this fight because the guy's an absolute monster when it comes to wrestling. He's been able to tie in the arm chokes so well. Three of his four finishes in the UFC are by chokes. Two of them are anaconda chokes. He loves it. I mean, if I could put money on him finishing that way, I would actually do it. I just think this is his fight to lose in such a big way where it's very difficult to see him losing. So with that said, let's take a quick look at the lines before I eat my words any more than I already feel like I should. And Makwan Amirkani, I mean, pretty much opened around the same line as Mason Jones is now actually moving down towards some minus 270s in places. I'm actually going to once again use Bet365 as my go-to and minus 250 for Makwan Amirkani. You know, I really thought that that line should be a bit close to that minus 300, minus 350 range. I think he's that good in this fight. Only thing is if you get surprised on the feet, and I just don't think it's that possible to surprise him in terms of what he's coming out of against guys like Shane Burgos and Edson Barbosa. So, I mean, talk about a parlay piece. I'll lay official claim to that one. I think Makwan Arbel losing this fight would be a huge surprise to a lot of people. And, you know, outside of that very, 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 you know, brawler style that really could get him that big dog win, it's hard for me to find any true path to victory for Kamal Kirk. But again, 
land those big strikes, get in close. The beautiful part about this fight is Amir Khani might not have the power behind the punches that Kamala Kirk's felt before, and that's going to give him a lot of confidence to push forward. So keep an eye on that one. I think there's a lot for Amir Khani to prove in this one in terms of dominance, but clearly the lines are suggesting that Kamala Kirk has, has some game behind him and should push this fight forward if he's not feeling any real damage coming his way from Amir Khani. So once again, I think that's going to be hella exciting when it comes to just, you know, the chess match of the striking game. But let's get right into that next one. You know, I'm pumped for the Francisco Trinaldo and Muslim Salikov fight. And I'll explain why. Trinaldo's a guy I'm going to be jealous of for the rest of my life, right? When you're 33 years old and trying to lose a bunch of weight and just enjoy the striking and the, and you know, bunching bag, all that kind of stuff is a hobby and hopefully becomes a gym thing when everything opens up. But man, let's talk about just how great this man looks at 40 years old. Who doesn't want to look like that at 40? I mean, obviously, he's not going to be cutting down to lightweight anytime soon. And this is much better weight class for him. I think he's on those last legs, though, despite looking so great. And you look when you look at the Jay Herbert fight, right? That was a fight where he was actually losing on the feet quite a bit. He actually got stung really badly in that round, but ended up pulling off a much very surprised big power shot type win. It was a beautiful finish, an absolutely amazing win for a guy who's now pushing into his 40s. But... You know, now he's getting a real, real dog. The king of Kung Fu in Muslim Salkov. What I love about him is those leg kicks, right? You look at his previous fights. I mean, you know, the Zaleski fight. I actually thought the Zaleski won that fight personally, but it was so close that you have to be able to see both sides. Absolute beast striker, right? He can take damage. I think he's been able to, you know, fend off any type of ground scare from anybody that he's fought so far. And that's where Francisco Trinaldo might be able to take this fight if he's getting these big punches in. You talk about the losses that we've seen from uh, Francisco Trinaldo. Those are the most, you know, the best part about his game when you take a look at it. You know, Kevin Lee's the James Vick was the one loss where you're like, oh my, yeah, that really did happen because it was actually James Vick's last win before he went on that infamous 0-5 run. But you know, you have the Gleason Tebows, the Peter Hallmans, the Michael Chiesas of the world. That's who Trinado's been losing to in his career. The Alexander Hernandez fight, another guy that we're seeing flip-flop when it comes to fighting the best versus, you know, UFC caliber fighters going into the Salikov fight, I think that's something that we're going to be keeping an eye on, right? I think Salikov is proving that he definitely belongs in that top 15 very soon, and you know, if not already, and Starpoli, right? Like, that's a, that's a fight where I watched it specifically because you know, we get to analyze both these guys and the kicks, right? This was a very good demonstration of how both guys' kicking games really work against each other, and I think that Salikov won that fight pretty handedly it makes it an interesting belt when it comes to the uh, Trinaldo fight, right? Because I think Trinaldo enjoys trying to get these big power shots in. I don't think he's going to be as technically sound as Salikov is, which is probably what makes this fight a little one-sided. I mean, I think that our, when we talk about Trinaldo, his ability to pull off the victories are there. And, you know, we just touched on some of those UFC losses. They're against some of the best fighters we've seen. You know, it's funny, you know, just five years ago, we saw him beat guys like Ross Pearson, Yancey Medeiros, and Paul Felder in the same year. So, that's how good Francis Trinaldo is as a fighter. So that's why I don't want to write him off so much in this fight. It's just from a styles perspective, I think this is a really tough battle for him because from a striking game, Salikov can not only dish it, but he can take it. And I just, I'm really curious to see if, if, if you know, Francisco has the ability to get this fight to the ground if he needs to, because both guys enjoy the striking games pretty much, but 
I think this is a great example of a fight where we're going to see a whole mix of things happen based on how these guys are feeling. You know, if Trinell's feeling like he's taking a massive, massive beating, similar to the Herbert fight, he's going to have to fight his way out of that one and try to muster up some offense of his own, which we've clearly seen him do. So I'm excited to check these lines, to be quite honest, because I, I don't even know where this one's going to fall. Uh, I'm going to just quickly toss the coin. I'm going to say Salikov is going to be a minus 150. It's hard for me not to see that. So Muslim Salikov, minus 250 favorite on, on Bet365. Looks like he opened at a minus 180. So, you know, that was a bit closer to my 150 uh, opening line. But, you know, outside of that, I think it's a pretty fun fight. You know, the last couple points on this one, the big thing about Salikov is, you know, he can just take such a beating, right? And with Trinaldo moving up in weight for this one, you can't dad strength anybody anymore. With the Jay Herbert fight at 155 not making weight, that dad strength aspect of it seems to be gone now. You're going to be taking on a much bigger guy, a dude who's definitely good on his feet. So that's where I see the edge very much changing in favor of the bigger fighters at 170 because Trinaldo's going to have to change his game plan a little bit with how he's been able to dominate some of the guys at 55. So get excited for that one. There's a whole bunch of chess games going on in that fight that I think the line is obviously leaning one way, but don't get it twisted. We've obviously seen crazier things. And like I said, that chess aspect of this fight is just so phenomenal. So keep an eye on that one. I do, you know, have some curiosity towards that not going the distance line for those two, because I think that there is some finishing ability on both sides, whether it's luck or technique on one side versus the other, who knows? I think we're going to be able to see that in that, in that upcoming fight. But you know, obviously, I'm really excited to get into my Canadian brother, Edmonton boy stand up, Tanner Bozer. You know, the really great story that I want to share with Tanner Bozer is I think I talked about it when KB Bular was fighting, but he was actually the one that convinced KB Bular to, you know, chase his dreams, that he was good at it, that he should definitely give it a shot. And those are the kind of teammates, those are just the people you want around you, right? That's a really good energy to take away from a teammate. And you can see it in his fights, right? Just the calm, cool, collected outlook. I think in that Andre Olovsky fight, he was learning a lot about himself. Uh, Andre controlled that fight, man. It, you know, Tanner Bozer went into that fight being considered the faster fighter and all that, but that pace was all Arlovsky. If anything, it looked like the fight on the feet in terms of striking, you know, fisticuffs, if you will, was actually quite frustrating. And despite doubling in significant strikes with those leg kicks, Bozer still lost the fight. And I think it's, you know, damage versus technique, right? If you're just landing jabs, but nothing's really coming of that. And the other fighters, the one landing the bigger blows, the ones that make the more noise and look the harder ones but that's where you're gonna see mike davis we talked about it these are all those types of fights where you're seeing that aspect of things change you know it's just not about volume it's really about how the fight looks aesthetically i, I think that's where you know you have to give the points to head strikes right Arlon arlovsky was pushing that pace consistently all fight and, and was pushing the fight to him was dodging all the shots that he needed to and i think it showed that bozer's you know one two of that jab coming in an overhand right it was very readable for Arlovsky. I think that in this fight, when you're going up against a guy like, you know, Ilya Latifi, now you're able to tell yourself that your only two losses in the UFC are to Andre Arlovsky and Cyril Gann. So you're still holding a three and two UFC record going into, you know, what I believe is going to be considered the lead prelim fight against a guy like Latifi, who he himself, we just talked about Francisco Trinaldo and his record, but you know, seven and six in the UFC, but those six losses are Vulcan Ozdemir, Corey Anderson, you know, 
Derek Lewis in a fight where he was able to win a round with just five significant strikes. You know, those are the things with Latifi you want to be careful of because if he's able to get in close, push this up against the fence, get it to the ground, I do think that he's going to have a pretty good advantage on the ground in this fight. You know, I don't, when I'm looking back, Bozer's fights, you know, we're going to look at the stats here now, but he's never really been tested in that light. I think that his striking is either really proven to be his key to victory or he's had to fight other people's games in terms of striking battles and lose. In this case, you know, you're looking at the shared 100% takedown defense across the board, right? I think Ilya Latifi is constantly looking to push that pace and get it up against the fence because he's always coming in as that thicker, smaller guy in this fight. He's, it's 6'2 versus 5'10", but no real reach disadvantage in that 75 versus 73 uh, inches. So that's where, I, that's where I'm actually seeing a very tough fight for Tanner Bowser, right? Because if that jab, overhand right, and any leg kicks damage that he's not that he's trying to do is not working, I think Latifi's ability to push the fight into him versus the striking game of Arlovsky could still spell a victory for Ilya Latifi. Because like I said, you know, I sorry, I didn't even finish those six losses, but after the Lewis fight, we still have three fights in, you know, Gegard Mousasi in his debut, Ryan Bader and Jan Blakowicz, who's currently the light heavyweight champion of the world. So just to finish off those six losses that he's had in the UFC, I mean, those are top tier fighters, top 10 bar none. So for me, this is a great test for Bozer. This is where I do see he can kind of gauge where he's at in his UFC career because again, young enough to know that he should be going for that title, but having to deal with that block of, you know, bottom five of that top 15 is really where he's finding himself right now. And I'm excited to see him fight. I think he's shown improvement in all these fights, especially as a striker. And when we see him taking on guys who are either new to the UFC or, or on the come up, he's done very well. So that's where, you know, I think that Hirley Latifi has a very dark horse chance of winning this fight. Now, if we're talking about lines, I really want to give the edge to Tanner Bozer because uh, I think that in terms of volume, in terms of keeping the fight standing, he tends to do that very well. And it's kind of the one area that he has to keep this fight, right? I, I do think that if he's able to avoid any type of takedown or clinch work inside the you know dirty boxing ranges of any kind, Latifi's going to have struggles fighting at range. And, I, and I'm hoping that that's what Bozer's where he's trying to keep the fight. So let's take a look at these lines right now. I mean, minus 180 opening line for Bozer coming in at about a minus 210, minus 220 um, on most sites. Even money right now on bet365. Interesting. So just to kind of wrap that up there, Hitler Latifi opened at a plus 155 dog. Um, on most sites, he's coming as a plus 160 to a plus 170 dog but on bet 365 right now he's showing to be a even money fighter against tanner bozer just to throw that out there guys this is a very close fight i think stylistically it's going to be can bozer strike and keep the fight standing and have Ilya tp at bay for 15 minutes if he can't finish him or is Ilya tp going to eat these strikes push forward land some big kicks himself maybe and and just get the fight to the ground using some dirty boxing and pitch work you know ride that grind that I mean, who knows, man? I think that, that one's going to be a really tough one to call. And, and I'm going to be excited to watch it because I think Tanner Bozer has something to prove after the Andre Olovsky fight, but losing to the Olovskys and Guns of the world are okay. Losing to the Year Latifis might spell a different um, you know, game plan for him moving forward. But I'm excited. I hope you guys are too. 
And that should take us pretty much into the main card now. And I think we kick it off with uh, Montana De La Rosa and Ariane Lipsky. Uh, Lipsky is one of those fighters I I felt bad for, right? Because when you compare what Antonina Shevchenko looked like in her fight before and after fighting Lipsky, it's kind of interesting, right? It's like too bad for her that after fighting Catelyn Chukagian, her confidence was rocked and she knew she had to perform better and came in and put on a wrestling clinic like she was literally a spitting image of a sister, ground and pound victory, but then maybe gets overconfident and goes to fights a girl like Andrea Lee and just gets absolutely dusted on the ground, finished by armbar within the first round. I think that's right. So I think that that was pretty much, you know, it's a tough pill to swallow. So now we're going into what, you know, th these two bring to the table. I think Lipsy's going to be a very good striker in this fight. I think that she is improving uh, grappling. You know, in the fight where she locked up that surprise knee bar, everybody was actually criticizing her in the moment that she needs to improve her grappling, needs to improve her grappling. And then she just grabs this leg and pulls it all the way up over her head to finish via knee bar. That, for me, was one of the most impressive victories for, you know, any type of new fighter coming in, especially when, critiques are saying that you need to work on this and you need to work on that and you pull off a knee bar of that kind you know i don't think anything can spell more confidence than that and you go look at lipsky's three losses we just talked about the first one then you got the calderwood debut in the ufc and then molly mccann who's a phenomenal boxer right so ariana lipsky likely to keep the fight standing going up against a great boxer like molly mccann obviously you know that one that one's pretty tough tough one for her to take on and i think now she's starting to get the fights that she should now montana de la rosa right when you look at that buena silva fight i mean she just kept taking so much damage so much damage but what did she do she kept walking through it kept walking through it kept looking for clinch work kept looking to take the fight to the ground and she pulled off a draw in that fight so for me montana de la rosa has one game plan it seems and it's to try and work her striking into the areas where she could just get the fight to a clinch area or get the fight to the ground and i'm, I'm actually like in this fight right now depending on how you classify her previous losses or wins, I think that this is a fight that she definitely has a lot more potential to be successful, you know, in comparison to the Buena Silva fights, because Buena Silva was very strong. I felt that she was pushing forward, able to really power her way out of tough situations, especially as she did so much damage on the feet to Montana. But now we're coming to Ariana Lipsky, who, who I think is going to be putting on somewhat of a similar game plan, right? Try to avoid those takedowns, try not to be on the ground against Montana, because I think that if Dolores is able to get into side controls and work into mounts and stuff like that, that's where Lipsky's going to have trouble. And when Antonin Shevchenko is doing that to you at the UFC level, you have to wonder what Ariana Lipsky can pull off against a, a fighter like Montana De La Rosa, who in her own right has been very, very successful on the ground. I mean, I want to mention that the only person to ever submit her is Mackenzie Dern and has three fights of her, three finishes of her own via submission. You know, Lipsky striking basically versus Montana ground game and wrestling. I think that's going to be where we see just how much Montana's, you know, ability to take damage and push the fight to the ground can come into play because if Lipsky's not pushing forward and, and trying to make a difference on the feet, you know, that four and two record for Montana is really going to stand out versus this two and three one where, you know, I really believe that it's going to be a tough pill to swallow when she loses now four of these UFC fights to two fighters that are pretty much picking very similar game plans, right? 
Now, if we go into the lines, like I said, I'd be very shocked if this wasn't in favor of Montana De La Rosa because fact of the matter is we've seen her take a beating on the feet, which Litsky could potentially pull off and still try and push her game plan against the Buena Silva, try and get that draw out of her. In this fight, I don't think that Buena Silva type of damage is going to be happening from the Lipsky side. And to, you know, push that point that I think Montana De La Rosa should have a lot more success in terms of getting the clinch going, getting the fight to the ground, using her striking to set more things up as opposed to getting dominated on the feet. So let's take a look at these opening lines right now. I mean, I was blown away by that last one, so who knows? But you know what? I agree with this 100%. Montana De La Rosa coming in as a minus 160 opener, now sitting at a minus 175, minus, sorry, minus 275, minus 280. Lipsky opened at a plus 140, now getting down to, you know, plus 210. And if you go to bet 365, <coughs> I mean, they're giving you a bit more value there. Minus 225 for De La Rosa, plus 162, but I mean, it pretty much seems the same across the board. Uh, I think that the the value on De La Rosa there is, you know, if we're talking a De La Rosa, Makwan Armir Pani Pollet, a Makwan Armir Kani and a Montana De La Rosa Fire League, my God, that's a tongue twister. That might be something to explore if you're a betting person. You know, we're gonna, we're just trying to get those records up and get that paper if we if we need to. But maybe this becomes the Super Saiyan pick. We'll see. But at the end of the day, Montana De Rosa should have the advantage on the ground game, and if she can avoid all that damage on the feet from Lipsky. This is going to be a tough, tough, tough night for Lipsky once again, especially on the ground. But, you know, that's going to take us right into the next one. Tom Breeze and Antonio Roy, you know, this is a great matchup in terms of strikers. I think that for Tom Breeze, you know, to be one and two in the UFC right now, Brendan Allen lost in his second stint debut. Then the big performance against KB Boulard, where, you know, he really did take off in a big way. Then he takes on a guy like Omari Akhmedov, who... You know, the grappling exchanges, it was really obvious that Tom Breeze was kind of, you know, behind. He, he was definitely trying to catch up to Omar Ahmedov. And when they were up against the fence in that second round, it just, you know, made one wrong decision. And Ahmedov was able to lock up that submission pretty quickly and get that dub. And that's where I think Tom Breeze is at in his, you know, now second UFC stint. He's been able to take on some of the more experienced guys, especially the specialists of the UFC. And I think that's where, you know, a guy like this, right? Big kicker, Antonio Arroyo. What did Darren Wynn do to neutralize him? I mean, Darren Wynn was so confident in his wrestling at one point that he tired him out so badly that all he did was just try to lunge in and knock him out and keep going for that big power shot. So that's one thing to take away from Arroyo's game is he seems to get tired if he gets overworked and he likes to throw big kicks and keep the fight standing. You know, we saw in the Muniz fight, Muniz was able to kind of take the fight over by getting the fight more to the ground, playing to his own game plan, and really just kind of neutralize the few areas that Arroyo was able to really take off in his own right. He's a big kicker and that's how he got his fame. Dana White Contender Series coming out of all of those things. And that's where I really enjoy the type of fight that he brings, but at the same time, it's all about skill and how good of an MMA fighter you are. And I think in, in the Darren Wynn fight, it just, it really shot, it was, I mean, I can chalk up that one to an L on one of our pickums because I really thought the length of the kicks, it's just such a good style for, for a wrestler who's so much smaller, you know, but unfortunately Darren Wynn, I mean, literally jumping and lunging to get that, you know, knockout win. That's how tired Arroyo was. And that's how confident Darren Wynn was in his dub and not only to, you know, be boring and take it to the ground, but try and finish the guy on the feet. So that's where I'm kind of seeing Tom Breeze 
you know, dictate a bit more of the pace. I think that if he can avoid some of these big kicks and especially to the body and to the legs, if Arroyo's smart, he's really going to try and slow Breeze down because especially if he gets tired by th from throwing so much in the later rounds, at least some of these shots should slow down Tom Breeze because with Breeze, I think you're going to get a guy who's going to be pushing forward and trying to get those big strikes landed but at some point or another you're going to see him try and get it up against the fence get the fight to the ground and i mean if there was a fight for him to work on his ground game it's most likely this one they tell you not to practice new things on the big stage but i swear if there was a fight for you to truly you know see how good your grappling game is i don't think there's a better one because if i have to stand with antonio arroyo versus take him to the ground and try my luck i'm obviously going to try that especially if it's in the later parts of the fight so i think those are the real keys to victory for both guys because if Arroyo doesn't get taken down and I mean his his takedown defense is below 50% if I'm not mistaken it's it's at 32% so that's an area where he just has so much work to do and the game plan going against him seems so clean cut so in terms of path to victory for Tom Breeze you know seeing how good his striking was against a guy like KB Bular and how he knew that he needs to work on his ground game versus a top 10 type of guy like Omar Akhmedov. It's kind of interesting to see where he would take his game plan, his training camp and all of that heading into this fight. So for me, I have to lead with, with Tom Breeze being a pretty smart pick in this fight. I just think Antonio Arroyo has a lot to prove in all aspects of the game. And when you see what Darren Wynn was able to accomplish as, you know, just a better conditioned fighter, despite what he comes in at, looking almost like a much bigger Kelvin Gastelum type of version, but it's kind of crazy just, just to see how good he was looking in that third round versus Antonio Arroyo. So I'm actually going to be leaning Tom Breeze and I'm actually going to guess around a line of minus 200 to minus 180 because I just, I think that he deserves a bit of that bump based on the all around MMA ability and as a knock to say the lack of from Antonio Arroyo. So I mean, there you go. Uh, minus 200 to minus 120 was the guess. I mean, minus 220 opener for Tom Breeze. Now looking at a minus 240, minus 250. I think that's a pretty interesting fight for him. I think that's his fight to lose. If he does and he ends up going one and three in the UFC, it's going to be a tough hill to climb for him, especially on the hot seat coming out. But I think Arroyo has way more to prove opening a plus 185 dog now you know close to that plus 200 range you know if we're going to cross reference a little bit with bet 365 to keep it you know consistent with probably the most popular site that people use you know tom breeze plus 100 and antonio arroyo minus 138 so Antonio Arroyo is now flipped to an absolute I'm gonna have to cross reference all this stuff right now live because Frankly, now I'm just not understanding what's even happening here. But looking at the MMA record uh, live stats on Betway, we've got Tom Breeze at... Yeah. What is happening on Bet365? Uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you have the opportunity and have true belief that some of these fighters are going to win, I would take a look at some of these flip-flopping lines because from what I'm seeing, the opening lines and the consistency on Odd Shark is, is, is definitely there. And we've got Tom Bree sitting at a plus 100 and Antonio Arroyo at a minus 138 on Bet365. So I would check that out if I were you. Um, moving ahead into the next fight, we've got another, you know, interesting about making the, the, the headline here, or I should say the main card with Dusko Tudorovic and Gregory Rodriguez. Now, Gregory Rodriguez is actually a guy that I really want to talk about because we're seeing him come into the UFC after a big performance in LFA. You know, he's coming in as the champion. 
we saw him on a Dana, on a Dana White Contender Series fight where, you know, if there was any fighter you would not want to play Rock'em Sock'em Robots with, it's probably Jordan Williams. You know, he's such a forward and back type of fighter, can take a punch from pretty much a fire hydrant and seems to just keep pushing the pace till he breaks you. Now, if you look at the way, you know, Nasruddin Imavov finished, or sorry, was able to deal with, um, Jordan Williams, it was a lot more of the lateral movement. It was a lot more of the switching levels. It was a very technical battle. And not that Jordan Williams isn't a technical fighter, but it forced Jordan Williams to be more of a technical fighter. Because if you get into a brawling fight with Jordan Williams, we've seen the outcome. So Gregory Rodriguez pretty much got slept in that fight. And speaking of slept, Dusko Tudorovic against uh, Punahale Soriano, you know, that's another one I'm willing to take an out because I really believe that Dusko Tudorovic had a bit of a, you know, all around type of game was coming in after facing some good competition. But Punahale Soriano was an undefeated fighter coming into a very, very tough fight. And man, that striking was insane. It was one of those fights where you even had the ref give him every opportunity in the world. I mean, that's Herb Dean's fight. I'm just kidding. But I mean, it really is one of those, those tough fights to kind of, you know, look at after the fact and be like, man, it's crazy to go against Punahali Soriano ever again, right? That's what made me excited to watch him again. And now that that makes you just think about Dusko Turovic's ability to take a punch, take a beating, especially if it goes into the later rounds, I think Gregory Rodriguez is showing the ability to be a lot better of a striker than he's shown in the Dana White Contender Series. You know, even looking at the LFA fight, I felt like his hands were up a lot more, even when he threw his own kicks. You know, he's coming from a camp with guys like Lyoto Machida, Anderson Silva. I don't know why I said Lyoto first, but that's where my head goes. But, I mean such a good group of you know brazilian folklore and, and gods if you will and is bringing that all you know around full circle in his next stint with the ufc so i'm i'm excited to see what he can do against a kid like dusko tudorovic who like i said you fight a guy like the quan townsend you're able to prove yourself pretty well but then you take on a guy like you know punahale soriano that striking and movement just caught you way off guard and you couldn't keep up punahale was just the much better overall athlete in my opinion you know dusko turovic in in his own right could have been you know a very comparable mma fighter and mma athlete maybe a better one but just the overall athleticism of punahale soriano in that fight was just so obvious the quickness the speed the agility you know i feel like agility is something we don't talk about enough in MMA but that's what you get when a guy isn't just super fast but he can move quick you know agility is something that we can really talk about especially in the upper weight classes because we see it from a few guys and in this case you know we talk about Dusko holding a hundred percent takedown defense but you know it's, it's the, the competition's out there Punahale Soriano was was not looking to take anybody down in fact I think he called him back up at one point in that fight too so for me you know powerful shots all that type of stuff are going to be so key for him i think that if he had um the ability to keep the punches straight you know instead of looping i think that a lot of guys are finding very 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 good success now in just not fighting like a brawler but being more technical about it you see that with rodriguez right i think that his his, his strikes you know going up the middle as opposed to looping are not only keeping his defense down but are allowing him to land very powerful check shots like jabs and things like that whereas right hook now is looking so good and that's where I think that you're going to find that, you know, a guy like uh, Dusko Tudorovic, who's now already coming off a big finish on the feet. This is a pretty interesting fight, even with it being on short notice, you know, with um, Maki Patolo pulling out of this fight. It's kind of interesting to see uh, a guy who just won the LFA lightweight title is now coming in. Sorry, middleweight title is now coming in to um, replace that fight. So 
where I think he has success, clearly footwork. I think that he should be able to land big. Funny enough, these guys are going to look fairly similar if they both come in bald. You know, one guy's going to be Brazilian, one guy's going to be obviously European looking, but it, they, they do have very similar looks. So that should be fun to look at. But outside of that, I think the chins are going to be the most interesting to see who holds up the longest. If this becomes a really, really good boxing fight, expect someone to drop. I don't think either of these guys are going to be able to last. And when you consider that both these guys have been finished in the first round and that's their main, you know, most recent loss, it's what makes it exciting going into their next fight, especially when they're both strikers. So I'm actually going to give a bit of an edge to Rodriguez just because I think he's riding such a high and he's been in training camp for basically a title fight. And right now he's going to have to go three rounds with a guy who, again, coming off uh, his, his first loss of his career, but can also be a demoralizing one, which you don't really know how fighters recover from that. We just talked about Cody Garbrandt in the beginning, but let's take a quick look at these lines here for um, our boys, Gregory and Dusko. And again, you know, Dusko opens up at a minus 194, it looks like, and is now dropping closer to that minus 150, minus 160 range. I mean, let's take a look at what the weirdos at Bet365 are rolling with right now. And Dusko Tudorovic is a plus 225 underdog right now. I mean, I'm curious to know what's happening at this point. I'm definitely recording this. Dusko Tudorovic is currently a plus 225 dog on Bet365. And if you look at the opening lines and the current lines across the board, he is most certainly looking more like an average minus 150 fighter in this one. So, I mean, you know, hopefully other people who are seeing this are seeing what the hell is going on. Because if you're betting Rodriguez at minus 300, you have a serious, serious problem on your hands. And I wish you the absolute best. And that does take us into the next fight here. Uh, I, I wanna talk a lot about the Miguel Beza and Santiago Ponzinibbio fight. And it does come from a, a very technical standpoint because I think that we're looking at two guys who've proven themselves as strikers. You know, the Ponzinibbio fights, you look at the, the losses that he has, the, the two losses via finisher are the, most, are the ones that stand out the most, right? The Lorenz Larkin fight, he just seems to lose in the same ways. And that's where he's able to take such good punches and push forward. But you know, the Shane Burgos that we saw where it was like all of a sudden something happened and he went out. It almost seems like that's what happens to Santiago Ponzinibbio because he keeps trying to push forward. Then it's one shot. Then all of a sudden, boom, he's on the ground. You know, he kept taking big blows from Larkin. It was landing some of his own. And then all of a sudden he's on the ground. And that was a pretty clean finish. And, you know, when you talk about the Lee fight with Santiago Ponzinibbio, it's one of those ones where, you know, as Daniel Cormier is literally saying, you can't miss against this guy. It was like, you know, Ponzinibbio really just kept pushing forward. And you can tell that Lee in that entire time is just constantly calculating distance, calculating distance. And then boom, comes over, Santiago misses, and then just this big overhand left just, just completely puts the lights out for Ponzinibbio. And so I think that that's where you're seeing a very similar pattern for Ponzinibbio. I think that he usually finds success in pushing the fight against certain guys like that, but but against two very good strikers like Lee and Larkin, you can kind of see where he made those mistakes and they're very similar. He just allowed himself to open up trying to land his own big shot and got caught by what should be considered the more powerful and potentially the better striker. Now in this case, I mean Beza, right? very similar type of style right he's gonna push forward he's got such good calculated technical skill power behind it the 
the, the Matt Brown fight was was a very easy pick in the grand scheme of things, despite the line. But he was able to showcase such good game plan, such good technical skill. And then you go into, you know, oh, he's just a striker. Oh, he, he he's not going to be able to deal with the groundwork of some fighters. And then you go into the Sato fight where, you know, Sato's the kind of guy who can take damage. But, you know, Caramel Thunder's like, sure, why not? Then he drops him to the ground and he gets the arm triangle choke to get that victory. So still undefeated. Now on a main card, taking a guy like Ponzinibbio, who at one point had legitimately just a few losses on his career, on on his whole record, and was very much looking like a title challenger, right? That's where this fight is going to be really interesting because I think in that striking range, Baze is going to be hella, hella technical. And if Ponzinibbio is not finding success and is getting clipped like that, Beza has the same power to probably put him out. The thing with Lee is I think that that power comes from both sides. I think that he's really, really, really technical in that sense and has just that scary, scary style of power, right? In this fight, maybe Beza is the more technical striker than maybe Lee himself, but you know the way he calculated those shots, it was perfect. And the way Beza is going to be able to do the same thing if Ponzinibbio is not, you know, changing up where where his striking range is looking. I mean, work the fight to the ground. Get more of those kicks in because I just, I, I do think that this could be one of those fights where if he keeps on the feet once again, you know, you look at those past two fights we just talked about against such elite strikers, very similar outcome against the guy like Beza who, you know, has proven to be able to take punches of his own. The real knock on his career is the... Dana White Contender Series fight where the guy just finishes so much that he kind of fades in the later parts of the fight. That's one area where if Ponzinibbio is able to get this fight to the later rounds, a guy who's seen main events, plenty of them, he can really kind of dictate what it means to be a top five UFC fighter in a division. That's the part that I'm really, really excited about to see if Ponzinibbio is very much back after all those injuries and after all the struggles he's had. If this next stint in the UFC is very much there, because the Lee loss, I mean, that guy's definitely on the cusp of, you know, getting into that title picture himself. And I think Ponzinibbio is still now at a point where he's got to refocus his energy, figure out a game plan that he can, you know, really execute at this age against some of these new and up and coming fighters because Baze is dangerous as hell. The fact that he's proving he can land those uh, arm triangle chokes after getting you rocked and getting you to the ground, those are the parts where I, I'm really curious to see if he's able to execute them against, you know, what I do consider a, a past potential title challenger, you know, before all the injuries and everything like that, that kind of sent Ponzinibbio away. Baze is going to have an inch reach advantage along with a couple inches in height, but that 100% takedown defense for me is the one thing I think is going to get tested big time. You know, both these guys throw for volume. You know, there's going to be a lot of strikes thrown here, but in my opinion, Ponzinibbio should have somewhat of a game plan here that takes it to the ground. And if he's able to beat that 100% takedown defense of Beza, Expect expect a, a nice resurgence fight from what could be a surprising fight for a lot of people because even for me, I think that Beza, the more and more I think about this fight and the way I've seen Ponzibio not only lose but fight in previous striking battles, Beza has a really good opportunity of pulling this off. So let's take a look at the odds on Odd Shark. Boom. Even money. I am happy with this line, and I really did explain why, because it is going to be a chess match of inches. And if Baze is able to pull off what guys like Lee and Larkin are, 
he is now going to be a very, very good top 10 fighter to see on a main event soon enough. And I think that Ponzinibbio is in a position where he's got to refocus where things are at for his, you know, UFC career at that age, because clearly the injuries, clearly the speed and timing against some of these younger fighters is, is just not the same anymore. Now, going back into the lines, I mean, this is actually way more proving that Ponzinibbio definitely has a shot at beating him because even him, him opening as a plus 100 dog, he's now closing around that minus 115 range. Now, let's take a look at what the people are smoking over at um, Bet365. And you know what, man? Santiago Ponzinibbio coming as a plus 150 underdog with Beza sitting at a minus 200 favorite. Now, I actually don't... I mean... If you're interested in taking Ponzinibbio at that price, I mean, by all means, lay it because you're not going to get that price anywhere else because I think the best you're going to get is probably that plus 100, plus 105, maybe a plus 10 closer to fight night. But outside of that, I mean, this could even close at even money in minus territory. So go ahead and lay your bets on Bet365 while you can. I mean, I'm probably going to end this and do the same thing. Finalized picks on Instagram, so stay tuned for that. Let's keep this ship rolling while I fix my hat. Next fight on the docket, Roman Delice and Loreano Steropoli. Now, what is very interesting about this fight is Steropoli brings this really good kicking game to the UFC, and Delice now working at, you know, a camp like Extreme Couture that are focusing so much on strength and conditioning finally just finally maybe we can see delice pull off one of those full three round barrages that we were, were so excited to see right if you want to analyze the trevin giles fight i mean it was close but you just again trevin giles looked like the winning fighter i mean delice gets tired you know if you look at that uh the one fight against oh i've been wanting to talk about this one and i completely forgot the name sorry guys but the john allen fight that john allen fight was one where you really thought he had such an upper hand now he won the fight he wanted to be a split decision but what was the issue in that fight it was 100 cardio it was 100 over output like the amount that he was trying to throw in that first round and a half just kind of dictates why he looks the way he does in that one and a half rounds after the fact, right? That's where I want to see him manage his energy, throw straight punches, get the, you know, the cool thing about Delice's game is he's got very, very deadly striking from a power perspective and from a pressure perspective and his wrestling and his ground game is there. It's just the style that he has requires so much energy. And so if that's something that you're struggling with, it's just interesting to see that if you can't finish the fight early or finish the fight at all, it's just, it's becoming a tough, tough go in the later parts of the fight. So, you know, John Allen split decision, Trevin Giles, uh, you know, unanimous loss, definitely explainable. That's another L for us, but I definitely picked a uh, Roman Delice on the pick -em. Always happy to accept the L's, but that's the reason why. And, and I believe that with the strength and conditioning program and with trying to manage that cardio and really land efficiently, as opposed to just going crazy in some of these fights, Roman Delice should be an exponentially better fighter because now he's going against a guy like Serapoli, who, like I just said, when you analyze the fight against Muslim Salikov, you know, his first round was so great. So many kicks, really likes to dictate pace, push it as much as he can. But he faded, and Salikov really took over that fight. Tim Means, I took Tim Means against Serapoli in that fight. Why? Because in the areas where I see Serapoli do well early on in the fight, he does get figured out. 
And Tim Means is actually a great fighter who figures people out as the fight prolongs. So if you're fighting Tim Means and you don't get away with really, really, really tough, tough rounds where you slowed him down and his brain's barely working, you know, come rounds two and three, he does figure people out and he does find ways to pull off those volumes, you know, those volume combos and those types of, you know, point battles on the feet. He's really good at that. And so that's where I think Serpoli, who's actually seen two guys like that in Muslim Salikov, who's a Kung Fu, you know, master and, you know, a guy like um, Tim Means, who's a really good boxer and striker. Now he's taking on a guy like Roman Delice, who might not be as good with the reading of the striking games across the board, like your uh, Trevin Giles, or sorry, your Tim Means and your Muslim Salikovs, but he's gonna push the pace. And I think he's going to force Serapoli to be aggressive early on in the fight. Now, with both these guys being the type to slightly fade in the last few rounds, what we could be looking at is an absolute barn burner from both these guys and one guy getting a really close split decision. The only thing that I really want to give the edge to for Roman Delice is just that, yeah, man, I think that his improvement overall can be there, especially with what he's been working on and who he's been working with. I think in MMA today, that's what it all comes down to. There's a reason why there's big, you know, the big camps are where everybody wants to go to between, you know, Sanford and AKA and, and, and American top team and extreme couture, like the best training partners and the best coaches are going to just, you know, equate the best results and, that's what I'm excited for in this fight because it's really going to prove if the work that Delice is putting in and very much becoming just a better athlete is going to show in what is probably the biggest fight of his life on a main card, you know, semi co-headlining a, a fight with, you know, guys like, you know, big time heavyweights, uh, Rosenstrike and, um, Sakai. So with that said, I mean, you know, it would be, I'd be lying if I said, I didn't think this fight was crazy close game plans and the way they fight. It seems like one guy likes to use the kicks, one guy likes to use the punches a bit more and then slowly fade and then try to get into a bit more of a grappling match, a bit more of a grinder match, see if some dirty boxing can get you into opting places. But that's what's going to make this fight exciting is that you don't really know which guy's going to be able to pull through after that first round. So with the lines in mind, let's see where we can go. I'm just going to quickly take a look at some of the stats here. And, you know, I think Delice's defensive ability is the one thing that stands out. So. I, I do think he should be the favorite, but not by much. And no, I mean, he opened as a plus 130 dog, Steropoli coming as a minus 150 favorite, and then that swapped right, like that, that's completely swapped. Delice is coming in now as a minus 150 favorite, Steropoli coming in at plus 120 on average. And then our boys at Bet365 who are having fun with life right now have Delice as a minus 163 and Steropoli as a plus 120. So obviously if Steropoli was your original bet, that's the place where you want to keep going. But Roma Delice is definitely getting some value on other sites there. If that's something that you want to, you know, dabble in. I'm personally leaning Roman Delice. I think that the potential of him getting better in those later rounds is what's going to make him the better fighter. And Steropoli, like I said, if those kicks are flying early on, he's going to be able to do some good damage and maybe Tyro Delice a lot earlier to pull off some of his own grinding work and maybe get a, a, a stoppage, if not, you know, definitely a decision win. So look out for that one. It's going to be a close fight. Clear the lines, say the same thing. And let's move into the big boys, right? We got back to back heavyweight fights finishing this one off. And you know, Walt Harris, you know, 
Same camp as Roma Delice. Been working a lot with Eric Nixick to get that cardio up, to get that output up. You see him working on those big kicks again. That's how he was finishing good fights, right? A lot of knees, a lot of big combos coming in with, you know, different level changing in that sense. And I think that's where he's got to keep the fight, right? We saw Overeem really take advantage of him being on the ground. And that wasn't much of a battle at all. And we see that with Overeem when we touch on Sakai, right? Overeem's ability to just deal with the damage early on. Again, if he doesn't get finished early, chances are Overeem likes to carry on into the fight and you're going to have to really, really break him in a striking battle to finish him. And now we're talking about two guys like Marcin Tybura and, and Walteris, where again, right? Very, very similar clash of styles. I think Marcin Tybura has been finished in weird ways, like the Sakai fight, right? Getting backed up against the fence, really taking big shots, thinking he can handle them losing wind pretty early and then it was just a slowly but surely kind of situation but the thing with Tybura is I think that he needs to be a bit bit less willing to take those damage shots because his overall MMA game seems to be very sound at this level and when he works in the level changing when he works in some groundwork ground and pound he's got pretty good cardio for the size that he brings to the UFC and I think that's one of the best features he's, he's got and when you look at Tabura's record, right, it's just so pristine at this point. You have to consider him a true veteran of the UFC. And after losing to guys like Abdurakimov and Sakai that we just talked about, you know, spitting off four straight wins against guys like Spivak, Grishin, Rothwell, and Hardy, those are really, really good wins. I was shocked at some of the lines that I'd seen for the Greg Hardy um, Marcin Tibera fight because I just think that like we said Tibera is such a good MMA fighter that's where Hardy you know in terms of gas tank and all that it was so smart for Tibera to play into that and make sure that he tired him out in a big way same thing here I think that Walt Harris dictates a very similar pace I think he's going to want to keep the fight standing land big kicks big combos Tibera is going to have to eat those and walk through them, right? If he doesn't take those big shots, similar to Sakai, doesn't get pushed up against the fence, flying knees, all these kinds of things you got to watch out for. I think Walt Harris is in for a tough fight in the clinch game. I think he's in for a tough fight against the fence. Now, again, strength and conditioning coming out of, um, you know, Extreme Couture right now is on another level. I think that's where they've been, they've been turning guys into really, really different athletes. Watch out for Dan Ige, man. I'm telling you, I said it in that fight leading into Gavin Tucker. That was one of the most insulting lines I've ever seen in my entire life. And, you know, that was one I wish I put my college, kids college fund. I'm just kidding. But that was one where I was very, very, very surprised because, you know, Gavin Tucker being Canadian, seeing where he's fought in the past, you know, Danny Gay deserved much better than that. Now, going into this one, it's a similar thing, right? I think we're just going to see a lot better athlete come out of Extreme Couture. And this is a case where if Walt Harris can prove that he's the better athlete, he might be able to sneak away that first round with big strikes. And then after that, it's about keeping Tybura at bay. He's If you can tire him out with good body shots and knees, things like that, you're going to be able to strike with him for three rounds. I think that's where Walt Harris doesn't get tired. I think that it, unless he has to really work up against the fence, work his way back to his feet, either you know from his back or up against the fence on the ground, those are the areas that people get most tired, especially when you're such a striker at heart. And obviously when you're a big time heavyweight. So, you know, Walt Harris supports that really interesting record, right? That I think it's 12 and nine, 13 and nine record. So obviously has that back and forth heavyweight type of old school record there. But with Tybura, now you're looking at a guy who 
you know, unless he's losing to some of the big names, especially when he's younger, you know, 21 and six is a very pristine record. You know, the Tim Johnsons now who are destroying Bellator don't look so bad, right? That's where Tybura, you know, in terms of becoming a better athlete, that's where I think he really can make a huge change in his UFC career. Not that he needs to. Right now, he's sitting at 4-0 with the potential 5-0 fight against Walt Harris. I mean, if there's a dark horse heavyweight right now that, you know, some of these prospects who are up and coming should either want to fight or should be even, you know, trying to get into those really greedy areas with a guy like Tybura, who's pretty much shutting down the competition right now. So in every area outside of the striking, I got to give the edge to Tybura. I think that if Walt Harris becomes a better athlete and is able to avoid a lot of that clinch work early and is able to dish body shots and get this fight, you know, in those really, really, really rangy spots where it's point battles with power shots, that's where he can win this fight, especially early. If he lands big, he can finish the fight on strikes just like Sakai did early. But on the flip side, if he doesn't, and, you know, he does get tired either throwing, throwing himself out in terms of too much output or gets taken down, it's going to be a long fight for three rounds, even if that happens early or in the second, because I think Tigura has that ability to keep a certain pace for three rounds. It's going to be a heavyweight pace, but it's going to be a pace nonetheless that should allow him to get the fight to the ground at will. Now, if we look at some of the stats that we got for these guys, I mean, we can pretty much back that up with... You know, Walt Harris is 72% takedown defense, most likely against some of the guys where, you know, we're not looking at the Overeems and the Tiburas and those kinds of fighters of the world. That's where I think that Walt Harris has had most of his issues. You know, the Spivak fight, the Olenek fight, like this is the guy that the UFC is like praying to see again, you know, so many round one finishes, round two finishes. And, you know, the guy is just exciting. And when the fight goes outside of the first couple rounds, yeah, it becomes a bit of a situation. No contest split against Andre Olovsky. Like, there's been so much potential of Voltaire's being this big, big, big fighter in the UFC for them. So I think that's why he's getting so many chances. I mean, he doesn't go on these big, big losing streaks. He finds ways to, you know, recover and win again. That's why I like Voltaire's as a fighter. And I think Tybura now is a perfect test for him to see where his game's at. Can he string off another win before going 0-3 after fighting guys like Overeem and Volkov? So... Let's take a look at those lines. You got to give Tybura the edge in terms of just MMA skill and, and recency bias. But, you know, the line hasn't moved much. Tybura opened up as a minus 155 favorite. Looking at like a minus 165, minus 175 right now. Walter is coming in as a plus 124 opener. Now sitting at around that plus 135, plus 140 range. And I mean, <clears throat> there you go. There's something accurate right now on... Um, Bet 365, which uh, is Walt Harris as the plus 120 dog, and Tybura coming in as a minus 163 favorite. So, like I said, man, if you if you believe any of these lines are going to hit right now, I would head over to Bet 365 and make those uh, make those bets because those lines should move uh, based on some of the movement you're seeing everywhere else on the planet. All right, now we've got the main event. I'm, I'm thinking about this one in a really interesting way, right? We got Jerzino Rosenstrike against a guy like Augusto Sakai. Sakai is a guy who can definitely take a crazy amount of damage, but again, most of his best work happens in that first couple rounds. You know, you see him get really big finishes with guys like Tybura, but then give up 
you know, massive rounds to Overeem as it gets to the third, fourth, and fifth rounds, and then ends up losing on strikes. Even on the ground, he's like, why did you end it? Why did you end it? But like, the guy's bloody as hell. It doesn't look like Overeem's going anywhere. Sakai's tired as hell coming out of that fourth round. So that's where I'm seeing Sakai have some issues, right? When you look at the way our boy, uh, Jerzino Rosenstrike has fought, it's actually pretty incredible. You know, I really want to dig deep, you know, even in terms of just the technical battles that Jerzino Rosenstrike has been in, you know, he's only got two, two losses on his UFC record and we know them fairly well, right? So he lost a technical battle to me against Cyril Gann. And if you ask me, Cyril Gann might be the best technical striker in the UFC heavyweight division, bar none. Guys like Chris Dawkins are there, but he's a great boxer. When it comes to technical kickboxing, like your Israel Adesanya's of the world, I think that Cyril Gann has so much potential in that division. And if he starts finishing guys off, I mean, it's gonna be a really, really fun career to watch. Now, with that said, Rosenstrike loses to Ciro Gan most recently, and then obviously big name heavyweight champion Francis Naganu. You know, in the Dos Santos fight, that's a really great chess match to talk about first because it was one of those ones where he really, you know, faked that jab and just came in over the top and just laid him right out, finished him against the fence while he was on the ground. That's probably one of my, if not my favorite fighter of all time. And and that was hard to watch. But again, for me, it's when you watch Rosenstrike fight. The reason why I keep, I've gone back and watched him so detailed because it's crazy to see in, in that short period of time of just 11 into as a heavyweight who he's been able to get into these chess matches with. And the thing about Nagano is you only get a certain amount of time to prove yourself or, or understand his game, right? That's what made it so cool to actually break down what happened in that Nagano fight because you know, he throws that first strike of the whole fight inside leg kick. And it's just like, Nagata's like, no, I don't like that. And, and he pushes forward and just starts going crazy. Now, the cool thing is, is that Jerzino does a great job of avoiding a lot of these strikes. You know, he actually dodges the first one. Nagano, like, Nagano's coming at him basically like this with alternating strikes, same power from both hands. And First time, Jerzino goes this side, comes back, goes this side, tries to throw another inside like it. So now, Jerzino's on one leg and still trying to dodge these blows, and he does a great job, but then he gets right back into the fence. And frankly, like, it just once that happened, you know, it took, what, exactly three strikes for Nagano to be able to line up that left that he pretty much comes back with the right if he needs to to finish him again. So it was like just right left right and then you know the moment that that you know pretty much happened against the fence it was over for Jerzinho so the cool thing about that is as much as we believe that every single one of those strikes would have killed anybody on the planet for the most part I mean that's where you have to almost give props to Jerzinho Rosenstrike because literally after letting the first strike of the fight those three punches, which are pretty much bombs getting thrown at anybody, he did a great job of avoiding them, but then just got back up into the fence. I think he made a bad decision by trying to throw that leg kick. You know, when he dodged that first two, I mean, get on your bike and run. We've seen guys do that, literally. You know, you kind of just played right into it because, like I said, three punches, the guy who lined that up and just, boom, ended it can't give a guy like Nagano the opportunity to line up anything, right? And so I think that's where, when you think about who the guys have fought, you know, Sakai deserves this fight, in my opinion. I think he's the guy that people really want to see more of. He, he's very dangerous in the early parts of the fight, but 
again. I think Rosenstrike would have come out of that zero again, fight le learning a lot about himself. And if this fight goes past two or three rounds, I think the chess match, which should then favor Rosenstrike, is going to get out of hand. I think that if the damage is even half of what happened to, you know, Overeem, it's over. I think that it's really tough to side with Sakai in a fight where you saw him dominate Overeem so much, but then lose to, you know, just that pure technique. And I'm giving Rosenstrike a lot of credit right now for what he's been able to pull off in an 11 and two record when comparing to a heavyweight like, you know, Alistair Overeem, who could be a pound for pound MMA great. Uh, that's where Rosenstrike I think has his most underrated and probably most rated reason to just be hanging around these these top fighters because you know his his experience is just such quality over quantity and his chess match proof is in the pudding and that's where I think it's really tough to see him losing this fight unless Sakai can do what Nagano did push forward with massive combos similar to the way you did to Marcin Tibera and hope that you land a big one to the point where you see him get sloppy like hands aren't up up against the fence and then just come in with the punch of your life I think that is the ticket to success the path to victory for Sakai it's there but at the same time are you Francis Naganu as an athlete and as a power puncher that's what you have to ask yourself when you're fighting a guy like Rosenstrike who's been able to overcome absolutely everybody except Ciro Gan and Francis Naganu so let's take a look at these lines I'd be shocked if Jerzinho is not the favorite he deserves it bar none to me and I mean, you know what? It looks like Sakai opened as a favorite at minus 140 and then Rosenstrike came down to a plus 120. And now the line's kind of shifting, but I, this could close as a pick em for sure. It looks like Sakai's coming into that plus 100 with Rosenstrike coming at that minus 130. Um, and you know what? The, the big thing about this for me is that Augusto Sakai keeps himself in all the fights. Now, what that means is, but when the guy can be so dominant, you're just hanging around. You know the the Overeem, you know, fight the 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 Ivanov. Uh, you know that 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 was a split win, and you know that was a fight where I think he kept Ivanov in the fight, right? So I think that was one where if you're comparing it to a guy like Rosenstrike, who should be the better athlete now, who's coming off a big loss where he has a lot to learn, five round fight, technical battle, couldn't find good rhythm, chess battle for days. He's going to have a bit more of an advantage here. And, you know, with that said, it looks like a lot of these lines are moving across the board. The boys at Bet365 are definitely on something. I'm not sure what that is. But like I said, if, if there's anyone on here already that you're feeling, by all means, go check that out. And so, you know, from top to bottom, we've got such a great card. I think there's a lot of line movement, things like that, that make it exciting for the gambling folk. And even if you're not the gambling type, that should just give you a lot of good indications of just how close some of these fights are or where you can expect certain things to go. That's why I think the keys to victory and path to success are so important to look at you know i save you the time of researching all that stuff because that's where if either or fighter is going to win those are usually the only areas that they can pull things off unless you see those plus you know 1400 submission wins you know come into play sometimes but that's where i feel like you know i'm hoping to do my part for the love of the sport for the love of the game for the love of the fighters the coaching all of that stuff you know i enjoy doing it let's have some fun with it as usual instagram picks going to be up sooner but don't forget the super saiyan hair officially the first week where we're going to have our own picks that we can take together we'll monitor that separately we'll put a bit of a blurb in the caption there so we can explain the bet but you know we'll keep it rolling thanks again for you know 200 wins that's 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 a record we're going to be able to carry into the next few weeks here i'm happy i'm excited let's keep it 
rolling. Don't forget to like, subscribe. And so as usual, we put up the full audio on Spotify. You'll also be able to get the full video and also the video clips on YouTube. And we're also going to be trying to do shorter clips of some of these for Instagram and TikTok to get some of the exposure out there. So feel free to go follow. We got the link tree up for all the Suki MMA links. So by all means, go follow and, and subscribe there. Thanks again for the support. Love doing it. Peace.